The sermon text for this evening is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And again, we're at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Lord, those are spectacular words. To those who received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right, the authority to become children of the creator of the universe. who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of any man, but born of God. Spectacular words. To be a child of God. There is nothing greater than to be an heir of all that God is and has. To have God as our Father. There's nothing greater. So God, come. We want to get this right. We don't want to mess up when it comes to understanding these two verses in John 1. So help us. We want to understand what it is to be born of God and how it relates to receiving Christ and believing on His name We want to understand how the Word of God, which awakens faith, works. So come, help us. And while we work on this, do this work. Do it at the downtown campus. Do it at the south site. And do it here right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I was listening to a lecture by Vishal Mangalwadi called From Bach to Cobain. 
a lecture that he gave at the University of Minnesota last fall in a series of messages entitled, Must the Sun Set on the West? So I'm three messages into it and finding it most provocative and helpful. I recommend it to you. In that talk, he mentioned briefly the reality of this thing called mantra, the mantra in Eastern religions. And as I listened to him describe what it is and how it functions, I thought, I got to talk about that in relationship to the new birth. Because everything hangs on how we understand and then apply the biblical teaching that it is through word that we are born again. Do we understand it as mantra or gospel? And what's the difference? So let's try to make a connection between last week's focus from 1 Peter 1.23 to this week's focus in John 1, verses 12 and 13. They're very similar verses when you think about them. I'm amazed how many religious websites, not Christian websites, just religious websites, link mantra with John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God brought in as a support for the understanding of mantra. And the essence of it is that ultimate reality resides in sound, sacred sound. And the way you come to transcend your earthly existence and participate in the divine is to take sacred sounds upon your lips and by means of their repetition, empty your mind and become unified with that ultimate sound, the Word. That's the way they understand or expropriate John 1, 1. One site, website, explains mantra like this, quote, Just by repeating the name, that which cannot be understood will be understood, and that which, and just by repeating the name, that which cannot be Seen will be seen, close quote. So in other words, the way a mantra works is not by clarifying the meaning of words and showing how the meaning of words corresponds to ultimate reality. Rather, a mantra works by being a combination of verbal sounds without verbal meaning. The aim of a mantra is not to to make ideas clear, but to make ideas vanish. So that by a more immediate route, you may commune with ultimate 
reality. Now, you need to know where you stand on that. How you think about that use of words and sounds and repetition. Especially as it relates to salvation and the new birth. Many Christians with very weak roots in Scripture don't know what they believe about mantra and other aspects of Eastern religion and how God relates to them, how the mind relates to God through word, and they drift into practices of Eastern religions without any sense that they might be drifting away from Christ. First Peter one twenty three, I'm gonna draw you from last week to this week. First Peter one twenty three says Having been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the miracle of renewal and newness and life from the dead comes through the living and abiding Word of God. How do you conceive of that happening? This is stupendously important. We are born again, united by the Spirit to the living Christ who is our life. We are born again through the Word of God. This miracle by which we become children of the living God and live forever with Him and escape condemnation, this miracle happens through the Word of God, it says in 1 Peter 1.23. So you need to decide whether that's a reference to the use of the Word of God as a mantra or the use of the Word of God as a mentally intelligible narration of historical events concerning Jesus Christ crucified and risen for our sins. This is really big. We take some things so for granted we don't realize how really strange they are in the world and not realizing how distinct the Bible view is of how you get born again through the Word, not realizing how distinct it is in how the mind and Word and understanding relate to the miracle, we can be easily drawn into some mystical offering that comes our way that sounds like it might add to our failing experience. Are we connected to the divine reality to God by the new birth, by a mystical process of repetition of sacred sounds, freeing our minds from thought and gaining immediate access to ultimate reality? Or are we connected to divine reality, Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, by hearing and believing intelligible words about History, history, events. 
namely Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. After saying in 1 Peter 1.23, through the living and abiding word, he says in verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. In other words, the, the word through which we're born again is called the gospel, the good news. Let me read it to you. This is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 3. This is the summary, the, the clearest summary in the Bible of the news that one is born again by hearing, grasping, and embracing. It goes like this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that is the good news that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scriptures, and that he was buried. Feel that earth. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. That's verses 1 to 5 of 1 Corinthians 15. In other words, when 1 Peter 1.23 says we are born again by the living and abiding word, that word is the gospel which we preach, and that gospel is defined on he died for our sins according to Scripture, he was buried, he was raised according to Scriptures. Those are historical events. This is a story about a person and about an event that you could see with your eyes, touch with your hands, hear with your ears. That must be known. Believed, embraced as a historical reality. Through that, we are born again. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. We are saved by believing it, standing in it, embracing it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Romans ten seventeen. Listen to Galatians 3, 2 and 5. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Pause. Insert mantra. I will do this thing. I will do this thing. I will do this thing. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Hearing what? The gospel. The story. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Answer, hearing with faith. In other words, hearing with faith is what happens when you're born again through the living and abiding Word of God because the Word of God is the gospel and the gospel awakens faith. It's news about Jesus Christ. It's news. You never can emphasize enough that the heart of Christianity is news. Did you hear? Did you hear? Son of God has come. 
Son of God lived. Son of God died for you. Son of God rose again. Death is defeated. Hell is closed. Victory over death is achieved. It's for you. Will you have it? It's news. We we turn it into so many other things besides news. It's just stunning news. Really good news. And you got to understand it. Got to hear it like a story. Got to know well, who is this Jesus and what do you mean by cross and what's a resurrection? You got to understand a few things and then you got to embrace it as your hope of life. Living and abiding word, the gospel is not a mantra. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work through the repetition of sacred sounds. It works because it is an intelligible truth about what really happened in history, about Jesus Christ, and how as a perfect God-man, He was put to death by the Father's will, bearing the wrath of God so that we might go free from our sins, and then He rises to vindicate His work, and He reigns at the Father's right hand. There's the story. you got to know that. Believe that. Not work yourself into an empty-headed, free, immediate communer with some abstract divine reality. Please, Bethlehem, don't go there. Don't add that on and thus undermine the gospel. So, what we learn from 1 Peter one twenty three, born again through the living and abiding Word of God, is that the whole worldview supporting the mantra is wrong. It isn't rooted in history. It isn't rooted in Jesus Christ. It isn't rooted in intelligibility of historical reality and narrative. It isn't rooted in responsibility of human mind to construe meaning from the preaching of Christ. It isn't rooted in the duty of the soul to see and believe the gospel. Christ crucified. I'm jealous for you. I am jealous for Bethlehem to have discernment when you go to the YWCA. And not to be foolish. Signing up for your yoga classes. Not knowing what you're doing. Maybe even leading them. And not knowing what you're doing. Yoga is to the body what a mantra is to the mouth. They're both rooted in the same worldview. You go to the Minneapolis YWCA website, go to fitness classes, try this tonight. Go to fitness classes and then do a little search. Yoga. Ping! 22 entries. Beginning yoga, MS yoga, youngster yoga, Youth dance and yoga, yoga for everybody. Here's one definition of mantra yoga. Quote, 
One has to chant a word or phrase until he or she transcends mind and emotions. In the process, the superconscious is discovered and achieved. Or here's the definition of yoga at one website. It's not a Christian website. It's just these are just yoga websites. Yoga focuses on harmony between mind and body. Yoga derives its philosophy from Indian metaphysical beliefs. The word yoga comes from Sanskrit language and means union or merger. The ultimate aim of this philosophy is to strike a balance between mind and body and attain self-enlightenment. To achieve this, yoga uses movement, breath, posture, relaxation, meditation in order to establish a healthy, lively, balanced approach to life. You were born again by the living and abiding Word of God. This Word is the gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen and reigning on your behalf. Don't fall prey to another gospel. Don't undermine the true gospel by attaching another gospel to it. There is no other gospel, and there is no other path to God or to ultimate well-being than hearing, understanding, and believing the scandalous news of Jesus Christ. So, when we come to John 1.1, so here we come, getting to the text. When we come to John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, we don't stop there and rip it out of context and make it serve mantra. We don't do that. We keep reading to find out what do you mean? Who are you, Word? And we come to verse 14, which is why I ended the text there. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, We have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's why the Word can't be a mantra. Became a man. The gospel became a man, and the man became the gospel. Dwelt among us lived a perfect life, died in our place, bore the wrath of God, rose physically from the dead, comes to us in a historical narrative. Christ comes to you in the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Christ comes to you in the gospel, the story of his saving work, that he died for you, that he rose for you. Our job, hear it by grace, understand it, receive it, be born again in it, and never, 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 by mantras or any other means, try to empty your brain of it. Ever! Empty brains are a big welcome sign for the devil, Jesus said. 
sweep the room clean, put nothing in it, seven demons come back, not one. You think this is small stuff at the YWCA? Let's focus on verses 11 to 13. He came to his own, this touchable, seeable flesh. Jesus, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Don't be among that number in this service. Downtown, south, don't be among that number. Don't you be among that number. Came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but be among this number. To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The structure of those two verses, 12 and 13, is very similar to 1 Peter 1.22 and 1.23. In verse 12, the right to become a child of God is connected with what? Receiving him, that is, believing on him. Said in two ways. Use either one. Receive him or believe on his name. Same thing, just repetition. So in doing that, you receive the right to become a child of God. You become a child of God. That's very much like verse 22, where we were purified by obedience to the truth. And the purification representing what happens in the new birth and obedience to the truth was obedience to the gospel, which is faith. So faith and new birth, being in child of God, are connected in verse 12 here, like they were in verse 22 in 1 Peter 1. Then in verse 13, being born again is not connected with the act of believing, but with God's act of begetting. He's mentioned faith. And child of God in verse 12, now is mentioning born again by God. Born again by God. Who were born again, this is verse 13, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So the emphasis in verse 13 is God did this. And the emphasis of verse 12 is you believe and you receive and in that you become a child of God. Okay, so same thing we saw last week. There are three negations in verse 13, right? Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man. Literally, not of the will of a male. The word there's not generic man, it's male, like a husband. But the emphasis falls on, but of God. So not those three ways are you born again, but this way. God did this. Will of flesh didn't. Will of man didn't. Blood didn't. God did. That's the emphasis. God does this. But what are those three negations? Why are they there? 
Why didn't he just be positive and not negate three things? Why didn't he just affirm divine agency in the new birth instead of negating three agencies? What do they mean? What is blood's? It's plural, literally. I guess that would sound weird in English, so they didn't do it. Not of bloods. But it, it helps you understand what it means because it means two bloodlines, hers and his, mingle in procreation, and you got now this person. That's how you make people, two bloodlines. And he's saying, that's not the way you make a child of God. You make babies that way, but you don't make baby Christians that way. That's what he's saying. And then the next one is will of flesh. Flesh, remember chapter 3, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Flesh simply means human, fallen humanity, without the Holy Spirit, what I can do on my own. I can make babies, but I can't make children of God. And then the third one, specifying one particular example of a will of the flesh, and that is a husband's will. A husband can have sex with his wife or a male can rape a woman and he can make a baby, but he can't make a child of God. Now, what's the point of all that? The point is, especially for the Jewish people of that time and maybe for your religious tradition today, I don't know where you're coming from. Who was involved in your being born the first time? is totally irrelevant to your being born the second time. Okay? I don't care if they're Jewish, Catholic, Lutheran, Baptist, American, Russian. Irrelevant. It isn't happening that way. So he's trying to just help free all of us from any notion that you're born into this thing. Like your ethnicity has something to do with it. Or your socioeconomic standing has something to do with it. Or the faith of your parents has something to do with it. Or the fact that you got baptized because you were born into that kind of family has something to do with it. And he's contrasting with all of that human agency, not another better kind of human agency, like not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but something else you do. No, that's not the contrast. The contrast is no human agency, none, God, but of God. You're born of God. God brings you into being. If you exist as a child of God, it's because God brought you into being as a child of God. The new creation in, in Christ, the new birth, is God's decisive work. Now, I'm ready to admit that if we just had verses 12 and 13, you might make a case that there's nothing absolutely certain about the flow of those verses or what he says there that demands that God's begetting be the cause of my believing. Like verse 12 is all about my believing, and in that I become a child of God, but it didn't say which comes first or which causes the other. Does my being a child of God enable me to believe or does my believing make me a child of God? And then comes verse 13 and it's not connected in a clear way that makes that obvious. The emphasis just falls on God's doing it. 
But we're not left with just these two verses to understand John's understanding of this. So I invite you to go with me as we close to 1 John chapter 5. So John wrote the gospel and John wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So if you want to know what John means here in terms of which causes the other, does faith cause the new birth or does the new birth cause faith? John is going to tell us very clearly his answer to that, even if verses 12 and 13 might not be as crystal clear as you'd like. So we're at chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 1. This just settled it for me years ago as I was wrestling with these things. Everyone who believes, 1 John 5, 1, Everyone who believes, present tense, ongoing action, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Perfect tense. The tenses there are all important for understanding how this works. John is saying that if you are a believer, you are a believer because you have been born of God. Let me read you John Stott. John Stott is a level-headed expositor. You want to see just level-headed, no-nonsense, say it like it is, don't get caught up in any big theological system. He never was known as, as, as a systematizer. He just did faithful exposition year after year after year in London, and now he's an old man in a nursing home down in Bristol, and may God bless the socks off of him and keep him faithful to the end as his mind is enabled to be faithful. So I'll read you John Stott from his little First John commentary. And here's what he said. The combination of present tense, believes, and perfect tense, has been born, is important. It shows clearly that believing is the consequence, not the cause, of the new birth. Our present continuing activity of believing, he says is the result and therefore the evidence of our past experience of the new birth by which we became and remain God's children, end quote. I think that's exactly right. And you can call yourself whatever you want. You don't have to put a name on that theologically. You can just say, I believe First John 5, 1. That's what you can say. I'm a, I'm a John guy. This John, not this John. <laughs> I want to be a John guy, like this John. So, what's the upshot of all this? The upshot of last week and this week is that God's action, act, in bringing about the new birth is the creation of a believer. When God, I've been, I've been explaining this to a lot of people who've been asking me questions. I'm going to use my little hand actions here again. So here's a dead heart, all right? A dead, unbelieving, rebellious heart with no spiritual interest at all. Anytime something spiritually uh, significant comes, it just bounces off because its heart is rock and there's no life within it by which there can be any attachment. 
And here comes the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus in the channel or the arrow of the gospel being spoken across your kitchen table, perhaps, or this pulpit or the radio or however God wants to do it. It's arriving toward this dead heart with a mega freight of divine power and the instant that this massive power of God in and through the gospel connects this dead heart with this living spirit, Christ, life happens. There's no time lapse. And what, what this life is, is believer. A believer comes into being. So there's no year between new birth and faith. No, there's no zero warrant for calling anybody born again who's not a manifest believer. You can speculate about that if you want. I'm not going there because it says we are born again through the living and abiding word of God. This word, empowered by the spirit, uniting this dead heart to Jesus, comes and it touches it. And just like when you put your hand in a socket. There is no time lapse between being shocked and going pew, right? It is instantaneous. You touch electricity, you go like this. When God touches this dead heart, it goes like this. And this is faith. Born again through the living and abiding word of God. Therefore... The new birth does not come about through a mantra. It's not sustained by a mantra. It's not increased or improved by a mantra or anything like it. It comes as a God-given, clear-headed, conscious embrace of historical person, historical events, and the historical meaning of those events as delivered in the story of the gospel. That's the way God saves sinners. That's the way God creates the miracle of the new birth. It's most remarkable that something as concrete and tangible as news about events and a person could make a miracle happen. And my dead heart lives. That's most amazing. And because of that, I can and I do appeal to you. Look at him. Not me. Look at him in the gospel. I've repeated the gospel probably eight times in this message. Look at him in the gospel. Set your gaze on this person, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We beheld his Glory, fix your gaze on him. Watch him go into Gethsemane. Watch him go into Good Friday. Watch his silence. 
Instead of calling down 12 legions of angels upon his enemies, watch him pray, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Watch him say to a thief who should go straight to hell for a life of total thievery, Today you will be with me in paradise. Watch him, watch him, watch him. And oh, may God grant your eyes to see and to embrace this Christ. And in that embrace, you become a child of God. Let's pray. I want to remind all of us on every campus before I pray that every week at the doors of all the services, all seven services, there are response boxes for those who may not have time or for whatever reason aren't going to come up and pray with us at the end of a service but would like to talk to somebody later about their heart, their faith. So if you just jot on a piece of paper a name, an email address or a phone number, put it in the response box, we'll work real hard to get back to you within a day or two. Father in heaven, We're not playing games with yoga, mantra, Bible, preaching. Eternal things are at stake here. Give us right affections and right emotions. Break our hearts for lost people. Open eyes, I pray, in these services that people might live. May the word of God be mighty among us. Mighty to save. Mighty to strengthen. Mighty to preserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.